So my name is Alex Rutkeen. I'm a barrister at 39 Essex Chambers specialising in mental capacity law. And what I want to do with you over the next 20 minutes or so is walk you through fundamentals of deprivation of liberty. So I'm going to share some slides and talk you through. So I want to start at the very beginning, actually, and reminding ourselves that we're thinking about the law in England and Wales, not the law more generally in, for instance, the United Kingdom. I want to start at the very beginning with the concept of restraint, because the law in the shape of the Mental Capacity Act provides that it is lawful to restrain someone if they lack capacity to consent to it, if it's in their best interests and necessary and proportionate to the risk of harm that they would suffer otherwise. That's Section 6, Mental Capacity Act, 2005. It's really important to emphasise two critical points. The first is it's about the risk of harm that they would suffer otherwise. It's not about other people. If it's other people, then it might be the common law provides the ability simply to intervene if there's a real and immediate risk of, of life and limb uh, posed by the person to others, or potentially this is an area which might be covered by uh, the Mental Health Act 1983. MCA restraint is, is very much focused on the individual and concerned. And I can't really emphasize enough, which is why I put it in red, just because you could lawfully use restraint doesn't mean you should. And by restraint here, I both mean physical force and also the use of chemical restraint. The law says you can, potentially in some circumstances, absolutely not a license to use unless it's really absolutely necessary. And so we then move from restraint, restriction on liberty, which is there's no formal procedure required to authorise it, to deprivation of liberty. And the very same element of restraint of someone's liberty, if it's carried out for more than a non-negligible period of time, which could be very short, matter of, well, no more than an hour, perhaps, or even less than that in some circumstances, that act of restraint could move from restraint into deprivation of liberty. And deprivation of liberty, the courts have identified the European Court of Human Rights, has interpreted Article 5 of the European Convention on Human Rights, and our courts in England and Wales have then looked at this further, has interpreted deprivation of liberty as having three key elements. The first is the concept of the objective element, so confinement to a restricted space for a non-negligible period of time. The Supreme Court in Cheshire West, a case in 2014, identified the acid test. Not free to leave and subject to continuous supervision and control. I'll come back to that. And then a subjective element, either can't, you don't have the capacity to, or won't give consent to that confinement. Really want to focus in this talk on the, the, those situations where people do not have the ability to give consent. And then it's got to be what's called imputable to the state. The state knows or ought to know. If we've got all three of those elements together, we have a deprivation of liberty. Well, why does it matter? Why does it matter we identify a situation as deprivation of liberty? Well, it matters hugely. First and foremost, because it's a safeguard against arbitrary detention. It's a really old concept. In fact, it comes originally from Magna Carta in England and Wales, the idea that you shouldn't be locked up arbitrarily on one person's say-so. And just because someone with the really best of intentions thinks this person needs to be contained or confined to provide them with care and treatment, that doesn't necessarily mean they're right. Eyes on, another pair of eyes on, checks and balances. And then procedural rights, if the person's detained, if you are detained, 
This is not law for other people. This is law for everybody. If you're detained, you need to have the right to be able to say what's going on and potentially go to a court to challenge it. One thing I really want to emphasize, especially in England and Wales, with the concept of deprivation of liberty now, which expands incredibly broadly, the real heart of the matter, actually, where things start to go wrong, we've identified, is where people don't pay proper respect to Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights, the right to respect for private and family life, encompassing the right to autonomy. And that reference to Neary is, a case, is the case of Stephen Neary, where what started to go wrong in his case was that the London Borough of Hennington felt they could do a better job of looking after Stephen in institutional care than could his father. And what, from that decision, so many other things flowed, including improper ways of thinking about his deprivation of liberty. But as the judge then said, when this was looked at after the event, the starting point where things went wrong, where people started to take the wrong decisions about where Stephen should be, live, should be living and where, how he should be cared for. So of course, it's incredibly important if someone is deprived of their liberty to make sure their checks and balances give procedural rights, but it's important always to start at the right place. So let's dig in those three elements, objective, subjective, imputable to the state in a little bit more detail. So that top case get there, the Birmingham case, the Court of Appeal told us, and while the Supreme Court looked at this decision again, it didn't look at this aspect, the Supreme Court, the Court of Appeal told us, freedom to leave means freedom just to pack your bags and go. And if you're not free in that sense, there should be a red flag for, are you confined? And in that, looking at confinement, looking at the element of supervision and control, there are two quite recent cases, Local Authority in AB 2020, REAEL 2021, reinforcing how important it is to look at the true power of control, what's actually going on, and not get confused by the fact that, for instance, on a day-to-day -day basis, the person appears to be have quite a degree of freedom allowed to them. But at all, in AEL's case, AEL's father saying, I'm looking after my adult daughter at home. What I'm doing is caring for her. I am supporting her. How dare you characterize this as control? And the judge said, look, I'm really sorry. I need to call a spade a spade. It may be support as far as you're concerned. Actually, it's control as far as she's concerned. It doesn't mean it's not justified, but it means we need to identify it as confinement. And as I've said here, or emphasize here is the policy of caution is a phrase from AB referring back to Cheshire West and Lady Hale saying we need to err on the side of caution in identifying that if individuals with impairments may be being confined. Because if you err on the, don't err on the side of caution and you start confusing, well, I'm doing, doing something in this person's interests and not identifying neutrally what you're doing, that is the point at which the right to liberty starts to mean less for individuals with disabilities than it does, with, does for other people. And that way discrimination lies. So if you've got a confinement, it doesn't matter if the person's got the ability to consent to that confinement because there's no problem in law. But to ask whether or not the person can consent to the confinement, you need to actually work out what the information is that is relevant, that the person must be able to understand, retain, use and weigh. And that LDV case from quite a few years ago now reminds us, if you're confined, 
you need to be able to understand, retain, use in a way the information relating to the core elements of the confinement. What means that you can't leave for macro sense? What means that you're subject to continuous supervision and control? And if you can't consent, if you can't understand those elements, understand, retain, use and way, you can't consent. And then the Supreme Court tells us from Cheshire West, if you can't consent, it is completely irrelevant that you appear to be acquiescent or compliant or even happy. You are still to be identified as deprived of your liberty if the state knows or ought to know, which I'll come back to. And then flagging this, the Supreme Court also told us in 2019 that if you're 16 or 17, you're essentially a mini adult here. If you're confined and you can't consent, no one can try and authorise a position on your behalf and say this isn't a deprivation of liberty. Specifically, nobody with parental responsibility can try and say my child needs to be confined. I think it's the right thing to do. Therefore, please don't identify it. Don't identify it as a deprivation of liberty. Which means at the moment, because the deprivation of liberty safeguards the regime for thinking, authorizing deprivation of liberty does not apply under, to those under 18, unless the person is there for inpatient assessment or treatment of mental disorder in a hospital where the mental health that might be relevant, a court order of it will be required. This, I have to say, is very poorly understood at the moment. There's a separate Shedinar that I've done in about 16 and 17 year olds of deprivation of liberty to try and assist people understand this better. I said I'd come back to imputability to the state. It's a slightly funny phrase, but what it's telling us, and this is Lady Hale in Supreme in, in uh, Reed D, reminding us that the European Convention on Human Rights imposes a positive obligation on the state to protect a person from interferences with liberty carried out by private persons, at least if the state knew or ought to know of this. So this is making clear how broad the concept of deprivation of liberty goes. So in AEL's case, for instance, the fact that it was her father who was doing the majority of the care in their family home, there weren't state agents, to use that rather loaded term, in there, state-funded carers. This was her father doing it. That's irrelevant. The state knows, or ought to know, of the situation. AEL's confined, she can't consent. The state needs to take steps, well, either to bring it to an end if it can, or if it can't, because the deprivation of liberty is really necessary and proportionate to the risk of harm she would suffer otherwise, has to authorise it. At the moment, in any situation outside hospital or care home, has to be a court application. And I'll come back to the process of authorization in a minute. But this is telling us this is very, very broad, this concept. Everything I just said is subject to what I'm calling here a carve out. The courts have said, if you're receiving immediately necessary, life-saving physical health treatment, under exactly the same circumstances as anybody would be getting, and specifically under the same circumstances that you'd be getting if you were saying, please look after me. Please don't let me leave, for instance, the intensive care unit. Please supervise me and control me because actually I really need to be supervised and controlled. The mere fact that you can't consent to those arrangements because you're incredibly unwell doesn't mean you should be seen to be deprived of your liberty. So that LF case, Ferreira, and then Reedy, Lady Arden came back to this, emphasizing 
that there is a carve out for immediately necessary life-saving physical health treatment. The really important considerations at that point are, is the care being delivered for you that which is in your best interests? Deprivation liberty is just a secondary issue. It's important to understand the limits of that carve out. It's not quite as simple is as in intensive care means no deprivation liberty, not in intensive care means deprivation liberty. You might well be getting care in hospital in a situation which isn't strictly ICU or critical care unit, but you're still getting that sort of immediately necessary licensing physical health treatment. Conversely, you might be in intensive care under very unusual arrangements. For instance, somebody who is detained in a mental health hospital suffers a serious physical health crisis, transferred to the physical health hospital, those are not going to be normal arrangements. We've done a guidance note in Chambers which tries to help think this through, thinking about specifically deprivation liberty in a hospital setting and the situations under which the carve-out ceases to apply and actually questions of confinement and consent become more relevant. I would just flag that the Department of Health and Social Care and the emergency MCA dolls guidance that they issued for purposes of the pandemic suggest that this carve-out might apply outside the hospital setting, for instance, in a nursing home, if someone's getting immediately necessary life-saving physical health treatment. That's certainly true as a matter of law. As a matter of reality, I think I have to say almost anybody who is that ill is not going to be in a nursing home. They're going to be in hospital. If it is a deprivation liberty, well, what do we do? As I said, there needs to be a procedure prescribed by law to ensure their checks and balances. Deprivation liberty safeguards applies in England and Wales, those people aged 18 plus in care home or hospital. The Mental Health Act applies in relation to inpatient admission for assessment or treatment of mental disorder. There is a somewhat complex interface in the hospital setting in some situations. Is it DOLS? Is it Mental Health Act? I uh, have done a shed an hour about that, which might help you think that through if that comes up in your practice. Outside that, so under 18 or outside the scope of care homes and hospitals, we are thinking court order, so-called community doll, application to the court of protection. We've done a guidance note in chambers on applications for community to authorization of deprivation of liberty. In some situations, it might be the high court inherent jurisdiction, in particular, 16 and 17 year olds. So just lastly, on the fundamentals of dolls, the core things that need to be thought about. Capacity, does the person have capacity to consent to the confinement? Do they have a mental disorder? Best interests plus. Dole's regime is thinking about the person's best interest, but in reality, it's not actually focused on best interests so much as on, is it really necessary for this person to be deprived of their liberty? Having regard to the risk that they'll be at otherwise. And even if there's a real risk, is it really proportionate to deprive the person of that, their liberty to meet that risk? And then there needs to be representation and support by somebody who can stand there throughout the life of any authorization and bang the drum and say, oi, on their behalf. And then access to the court of protection. I've just given you the reference to that RD case as a really, as the court of protection telling us the circumstances under which people need to be supported to exercise their right to go to court, an absolute right and say, I don't want to be here. And then priorities and imperfect situation. Whilst we wait for the liberty protection safeguards to come into force in 2020, 2022, which is going to replace and expand dolls to cover places dolls doesn't cover, 
There's an enormous problem in terms of, for instance, care homes and hospitals applying for authorizations and local authorities, supervisory bodies unable to respond in a timely fashion. How do we grapple with all these things? Number one priority above all, is the person getting their care and support in the least restrictive fashion possible? If not, there is a problem. How can that be resolved? And then whilst working to resolve that problem, making sure in as quickly as possible, ensuring there is authorization. And then lastly, some resources, our medical capacity law news report we do, top link there, and there you can find all the cases I've talked about in this short presentation and in a range of other resources uh, which you may find useful as you work your way through. So thank you very much indeed for watching.